Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good day, everyone. This is Tony Moskal with your high school sports podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for everyone. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? Well, ladies and gentlemen, the wait is finally over. Football is back. That's right. The NFL is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. I'm going to throw a bunch of money on this. This is my one bet for the year. My favorite team, the New York Giants, will be eliminated from the playoffs probably by the sixth week. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any other place online. And there's always the online casino as well, it never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your sportsbook experts. Joining me this week is someone who has had a huge influence on both my academic and personal life. He's also one of the best basketball coaches at the junior college level with over 570 wins. 16 conference championships, sent many players to higher-level colleges. He's been accused of running up the score on some opponents, but he makes no apologies for his teams being better. He's one of my favorite people to talk with, even though he affected my life in a negative way by giving me an undeserved D in freshman English at Crespi High School back in 19... Well, we're not going to mention the year, but head women's basketball coach at College of the Canyons, recent author Greg Herrick, Greg, thanks for joining me here on the podcast. Nice to see you, Tony, and, and uh, thanks for having me. Um, it, it's you know we always get together every once in a while. We chat, and but we've never really gotten deep into you know your playing experience, your coaching experience. I know that you've been a great coach all those years, but what what was your playing experience? Well, I played uh, I played at Loyola Marymount. As a freshman and a sophomore, I was in the basketball program, and my claim to fame was uh, I was in the last class where freshmen were ineligible. So everybody we played, UCLA, USC, had legitimate, you know, professional guys on their freshman team because they weren't allowed to play on the varsity. So I had a, you know, we had a pretty good season, and you know, I scored about ten points a game, and then. My plan was to move up to the varsity as a sophomore, and they changed the rule. So freshmen could not play varsity. So in comes uh, uh, a kid that was, his brother was on the Lakers, and Luther Filia, who was a fantastic basketball player, jumped ahead of me. So now I'm I'm the 15th man on the 15-man roster. And as a sophomore, I, I didn't see much playing time, and I started to want to do other things because my final goal was to be a lawyer. So I started getting involved in campus activities and student government, and uh, and I just decided that you know I'd reached the I reached the end of the road as a basketball player, and so you know I ended up playing rugby as a senior because uh, I got talked into it by a roommate, but. Uh, where I learned, where I earned my letter, believe it or not, and uh, so that was my playing experience at Loyola Marymount. I, you know, I was the king of intramurals, of course. You know, 
uh, playing against some of those club guys. And, uh, uh, I, and I'll tell you the truth, I was the first, the very first uh, winner of the co-ed two-on-two basketball tournament in the intramurals. So that's, that's a claim to fame that I have. And that trophy is, is displayed where at Loyola Marymount? Uh, nowhere. <laughs> it's probably in my mom's garage. <laughs> and then you, you get into teaching. You told me you dropped out of law school because you wanted to teach. Why on earth would you do that? No, I, I didn't want to teach. It was a byproduct. You know, I tell the story in my book, my new book that just came out, how I came home from school one night and, uh, you know, I was in a civil procedure class and the teacher started sounding like uh, uh, Charlie Brown's teacher, you know, wah, 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 wah. And I, I drove home and I, I remember sitting down going, you know, I don't really want to do this. This is really not what I anticipated, nor did I expect. So I sat down, I put a piece of paper on my desk that said things I'm good at. And then another piece that said things I like to do. But sometimes we like to do things we're not good at. Like I like to sing, but, <laughs> but I'm not very good at it. So, you know, I just started matching up things. And sports came up on both lists. And I said, you know, maybe I can make a living out of sports. But I knew that coaches, you know, at that time, were making a lot of money. You, know, you almost had to teach to to get it, you know, to, to be pay the bills. And uh, so I sent my resume out to twenty five Catholic schools because they were at the time didn't you know you didn't need to have a teaching credential. And uh, I got one response, uh, Crespi High School. And I interviewed for the job, and I got it. And uh, my reward was having Tony Moscow. <laughs> and, uh, and so that, that was the start of it. And, uh, you know, I found out in the, in the journey that, you know, coaching and teaching are the same thing. And, uh, you know, if I was going to be good at coaching, I was going to be good at teaching because they're, this, they're the very same thing, just a different subject. You know, the preparation is the most important thing, the uh, – the, the, the anticipation of a day. I, I sat in a room with teachers that used to say, oh, it's time to let the animals out. And I couldn't believe they were in the profession, you know, if that's the way they looked at it. So, you know, teaching, I, I taught for 38 years in the classroom. And uh, other than my three kids and my wife, the, the teaching and coaching have been the passion of my life. So I was fortunate directed in the profession that I was destined to be good at and enjoyed all these years and uh, that's the name that's the story and I'm sticking to it well I, I remember sitting in that classroom upstairs at Crespi High School and I think it was every Monday or Wednesday morning that the street sweeper would drive by and you would say gentlemen everybody go to the window that guy makes twenty two thousand dollars a year remember that <laughs> And he was, well, that, that, that was a very uh, funny uh, classroom situation. They're facing the street and the Ralph's parking lot. And, uh, and you know, it had no air conditioning that place. No, never. Not until after we all left. About 20 years later, they got it. Right. And I remember one day it was 135 in the, in the room. You know, I was upstairs, so you were getting the direct heat. It was eighth period. And you look out over the class and you see the kids are like stunned. 
you know, there's you got the stunned look on their face, like I'm gonna die any minute. And, uh, I go, this is this is no good for anybody. So I started dismissing them one at a time because you know, eighth period was the end of the day, and I said, don't go. Go to your locker, get your stuff, and go home. Don't hang around. Don't you know? Make any act like you're not you're not even supposed to be here. So after about four or five kids, I dismiss one by one. Here comes the dean <laughs> asking for some kid that I already dismissed. So I said, uh, he went to the li- I sent him to the library. Yeah, I was going to throw him under the bus. <laughs> and then and then. All of a sudden, midway through, this kid goes out on the street, you know, and all the windows of all the classes face the street, and he's up there waving <laughs> and making faces, and I'm, I'm looking out the window, I can't yell at him, so I'm trying to, get, get out of here, get out of here, you know, and I remember thinking I was going to get fired that day. Oh, man, I, I, you know, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, coach, I had your second period, you, you, you usually dismissed me early anyway. For a behavioral issue. Yeah, I, I sent you to the dean. I had my own chair in the dean's office. <laughs> so you you start great. You know that was a great experience for me because I was young then, and um, I was only maybe four, four or five years older than the seniors. So you know I was, uh, I was, I was kind of a direct connection between them and you know, the school, because I understood where they were coming from. I, I had been in that same place five years previous. And uh, when I recently got invited to go to the Crespi uh, reunion of, you know, those years when I was there, my wife says, you look, you look better than some of these graduates. And I go, well, you know, I wasn't that much older than them. And uh, that was a thrill as well, you know, having them, reach out to me and say, you know, we really appreciated what you did when you were here and we'd like you to join us for our reunion. That, that, that was a blessing. And I really enjoyed visiting with the, the, you know, the students from Crespi that I had and uh, reliving old stories like you and I always do. I mean, those, that's, those are invaluable situations. That's crazy. You get invited to, to reunions of other classes. I, I don't even get invited to my own reunion. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope that Dean didn't have anything to do. No, ironically, the Dean when I was there was Mr. Castellanos, who ended up being the superintendent of the Hart District for a while. Yes, I, I and I went to college with him. Small, small world, man. Yeah, I went to college with him. And he, you know, when I went to school with him, he was Jamie. Yeah. Castellanos. And then, you know, when he became a professional educator and big-time administrator, he was Jaime Castellanos. So that was kind of funny. So you, you, I, remember, I, I remember being told, we got a new superintendent, because I was in the heart district by then. And they said, it's Jaime Castellanos. And I go, oh, that's cool. And then I read his bio, and I go, I know this guy. You know, but I, we didn't call him Jaime when he was a student. Well, I remember I was doing, that was my first year in the district, and we were doing all that new teacher orientation stuff, and he was walking in the gym. I forget what school it was at, and I left my table of all these new teachers, and they go, where are you going? I go, I'm going to go talk to the superintendent, and they were looking at me like, no, you don't do that. So I walked up to him, and I said, hey, Coach Castellanos, how are you? And he looked at me kind of like, 
you know, John Belushi in Animal House when they put Kent Dorfman's picture up there. And and he did a double take, like, God, I know this guy. And I told him, hi, Tony Moskal, you know, you coach him. And he's like, oh, my God. And I think his heart skipped about 12 beats knowing that I was now in education and, and he was my supreme boss. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, the irony. You know, as I as I matriculated through the art district, uh, you know, I started running into people that I taught with at Crespi, or I knew from you know Cleveland High School where when I was there, who came to our district as administrators, and and you know it's funny because you knew them in a different role, and uh, you know you treat them a little differently when you know them than you do if you don't know them. And, uh, and we've had many administrators in the heart district that I that I taught with at some point. You know, uh, not only not only in the heart district, but in other districts. And I always felt, you know, that when you know the person, you don't you don't feel like you're there's you know the above, the people above you or the people. It just was all this. We were all there for the same reason, and uh, it would take some certain circumstances to find out that. Uh, you know, I always told them they were sellouts, you know, to the to the man when uh, they changed their whole viewpoint on things because they were administrative. And I never understood that, but uh, that's the way it goes. It happens. So you leave Crespi and you go to Cleveland High School where you built a powerhouse of a, of a basketball program. Guys like Kevin Holmes, who went to DePaul, Trevor Wilson, who went to UCLA. How did you build that program there? Well, luckily... And you hate to say this because it diminishes what your influence. But luckily, when I came to Cleveland High, Kevin Holmes and Keith Morrison, who Keith Morrison is in the Pac-12 Hall of Fame, uh, Kevin and both and, and Kevin Holmes, who played you know, professionally about 15 years, came to Cleveland the same time I did in the busing program. So they, I didn't know who they were. They arrived at the same time I did. Now, a year later, you know, in those days, we, you had, uh, we didn't have ninth graders at that time. So they came in as 10th graders from junior highs. And uh, the next year, we ended up winning the city section championship, not only with them, but, you know, with some other pretty good players. And then we would win it again the following year. And the rest is history. That, that, that in itself... And, and the kid, those kids and I talk about it still to this day. How was our destiny? You know, but them, them and I to show up at the same place at the same time. And, uh, you know, Kevin Holmes, who was two-time city player of the year, drafted by the 76ers out of DePaul, he never played organized basketball. You know, that's almost unheard of today uh, in youth basketball. Is, you know, kids rising to his, you know, as good as he was without ever playing organized basketball. He was just a fantastic athlete. And I, like to th I like to think that we helped him along. But uh, luck is how that program started. And then when they went on to where they, you know, Keith went to uh, Washington State and uh, Kevin went on to DePaul, kids just started gravitating to the school, basketball, basketball players, because we were uh, – we were a magnet school at that time, uh, uh, you know, and uh, our, our magnet program was the humanities. You know, I, I had trouble spelling that at some point, but uh, 
these kids would come from all over Los Angeles to go to the humanities. Now they were good basketball players, so the basketball player uh, program attracted them to us, and then the uh, and then the academic part of it attracted their parents because they could get out of you know where they were, going to these local schools, and get out and get get a great education, and then play in a great basketball program. So it was a double double header for me, and. The irony of all this is uh, we got accused of recruiting, you know, almost daily by the media, opposing coaches, and uh, I think it was building the program to the point that it was attractive to people. And you know me, when I was younger, I was animated, you know, I, I became the, uh, you know, I wore a carnation like Digger Phelps. A three-piece suit, you know, they were people were doing that, and and I, I I dressed my players in the best uniforms we could get, you know, with the candy stripes on the side. I mean, the kids loved that, and everything I did was to get build the program to an attractive uh, situation where kids wanted to play here, and uh, and that's what happened. My last team that I coached with Trevor Wilson, you know, played for UCLA, he was on the Lakers for a while. Uh, we had, that was the best team I ever coached. I still believe it was the best assembled basketball team in the history of the San Fernando Valley. We had seven players on that team get Division One scholarships, uh, and uh, we we went twenty-two and two. We lost one game to uh, and it, you know when you can remember a loss from over thirty years ago, you, you know it was few and far between. We lost to uh, Dominguez in a tournament. Uh, and then we lost our last game by one against Banning, 81 to 80, in what Ludo, the late Lute Olson said was the best high school basketball game he ever watched. And uh, and yet nobody really thinks of that team as being good because we didn't win the championship. And uh, it's, talent wise, it was the best team I've ever coached. And it's a shame we, you know, today in high school basketball, you lose in a in a in a Champion section championship, you get to play again. Yeah, you get to go to the state tournament. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't even understand. If God, if we would have been given another chance, we would have won the whole thing. We would have won the state championship. So, you know, it's funny how the game has progressed. You know, uh, it's it's almost impossible today to do what we did at Cleveland High School with the private schools and and all that kind of nonsense going on. Uh, a city school in the it's really hard for them to win state championships because it's just, the private schools and the and, you know the charters and they've taken over and uh, I just don't see you know I go to recruit a lot of times in city schools and I I can't believe how you know dilapidated the gyms are the talent's not very good and uh, I said man you know in my day. You know, there was 10 teams that were legitimately top, you know, prospects to win state championships in the city section alone. And and yet today, you don't see that very often. Yeah, it's it's, it's a shame because there's so much talent at, at so many schools and the kids just don't get a chance. You moved to Hart High School, but where who were your influences and who did you learn the game from? Well, I went to... Uh, I attended Bishop O'Dowd High School in Oakland, California. 
who has their own parade of state champions and talented players. It, even when I when I was there, it was probably in the top three in the in the Bay Area. As uh, you know, uh, all the good players went there. You know, when I was an eighth grader, I was one of the top two uh, eighth grade players. We played in the CYO, which is another thing that's almost disappeared. But the CYO, the Catholic Youth Organization, the Catholic schools had teams. And you could have public school kids on your team that took CCD classes. And, uh, you know, you could build a team wherever you could do. So when, I, when it was time to go to high school, you know, I got recruited by three or four schools in the Bay Area. And I chose O'Dowd because one, it was close to my home. And two, they were the top team. And, and I remember... You know, trying out for the freshman team, thinking I was going to get cut. I mean, the talent was so good, and I would, I, you know, I go on to play there, and uh, we, 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 you know, I played freshman ball, JV ball, varsity two years, and every team I was on won twenty five or more games, and uh, they didn't have the state championship in those days, so you, you, you know, you just win your section, and that was the end of it. But uh, you know, then I went to Loyola to play, and you know. Uh, I liked my coaches personally, but I think technically they weren't. You know, I would learn this later as a coach myself. Jesus, they didn't really do this or that and, and so on and so forth. But to tell you the truth, the most instrumental person in my life, as far as coaching goes, was my father. And my father taught me two things I still use today in my programs and in my profession. Don't be satisfied with the status quo. And you can always work harder than the person on the other bench. And uh, I never forgot that. I use that today. I don't let anybody ever outwork us. I don't, uh, I don't, I'm never satisfied with just winning. You know, some people think that's a, that's like torture. You know, you're torturing yourself. I can tell you, I'm in the Los Angeles sports arena in 1981. You know, just, beating Chatsworth for the city section championship in front of 13,000 people. And I'm in the locker room and I'm walking around and people say, well, how come you're not enjoying yourself? I said, because I'm trying to think about how we're going to replace these two kids on the starting lineup for next year. You know, I, I knew going in, we would probably win the game. Our preparation was good. We had, we had, a, I thought we had a better team. So, you know, that, that, it, and I always feel if you execute, and you do the things that you prepare to do, and you and you have likewise talent, you you got a really good shot to win. And uh, people couldn't understand my, you know, kind of just looking right next year. He just he just won the city title. Well, we would go on to win the city title the following year because of that preparation. So, and a lot of coaches, always, you know, they say John Wooden or. Uh, Mike Krzyzewski or Lute Olson and all these people. And yet, in my life, my father had had more, more uh, impact on my life, not only as a coach, but as a father and as a son. And, uh, and you know, and, and that's a fact. You end up going to COC. You've been there for, I want to say, 28 years or thereabouts. Yeah, 29 what was the biggest challenge going from guys coaching guys to now coaching girls? And how did you, how did you build such a successful program? Because everywhere you've gone, 
your your programs have been successful. Well, you know, it's funny that everywhere I've gone, the people tell me on the inside, you can't do that. There's no way you can do what you plan to do. And those are people that know me personally, know me. Don't tell me I can't do something. I mean, when I went to Cleveland High School, they said you'll never compete with inner city teams, Crenshaw, you know, uh, manual arts, banning, all those teams that were, and yet, you know, my last team was seated two in the section. And like I said before, we should have won it. When I came to Hart High School, they said, Coach, you can't play that style of game with the Hart High School suburban guys. They just won't do, they're just not capable of doing what you're asking them to do. Well, you know, but it, it only took us three years to get to the point where we won back-to-back Foothill Conference championships. That hadn't been done there in 20 years, back-to-back. And uh, we were scoring at about an 80-point-a-game 80 clip, which to this day, people say, well, how did you do that? And, uh, you know, it was all about commitment, uh, kids committing to, you know, your program, committing to your philosophy, everything you practice is about playing in the game. And then when I went to the, uh, I accepted the job at COC, they said, Coach, women will not play your style. They're just not capable of it. And I said, why Why aren't they capable? Well, they're just not, you know, they're taught that it's okay just to give effort, but to go beyond the line is not in their DNA. And I go, that, that, I don't believe that. Well, we were here in the third year, we went, we, we went to the state championship game, which our best player got hurt with five minutes to go. And I think we had, would have had a shot to win that. And, and, you know, after that game, I was doing the same thing about preparing for the future. And I said, we'll be back to this game. We'll be back here. And yet we have never been back. We've been to the final four a bunch of times. We've been in the final eight. You know, we've won 16 Western state conference championships here in 29 years. That's pretty good, and uh, and yet we, the elusive state championship, which is what I'd like to do before I retire, is is getting harder and harder to do. Teams are getting better, recruiting is getting harder, uh, you know. And uh, so I don't know. You know, I'm very I'm very proud of what we've done, what we've accomplished. It's in my new book, uh, Man Coaches Women. Uh, it's available on Amazon, Kindle, and in paperback. Uh, I encourage people to get out. It's, there's a lot of funny things in there and, and some poignant things about relationships that I've had with players and coaches. And, and uh, so, I mean, I, I've, I've enjoyed my time here. Uh, when I took the job, I, I took it, uh, you know, I wasn't sure it's, this is what I wanted to do. Uh, I, I asked, you know, I had established a pretty good reputation with coaches across the country. So I called them and I said, hey, what do you think about me going over to coach the women's team? And they, Seven of the ten I called said, don't do it. They said, you, you'll never get back into men's basketball, which they turned out to be correct. But I, 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 as I look back on my career, I say, you know, I, I've enjoyed every minute of coaching, whether it be men or women. And, uh, you know, it's still a five-on-five game where you're preparing to beat the other team. And, uh, you know, whether they're man or woman, it's the same, it's the same mentality. You take what you have, you try to get them to the best potential they can be. 
and at, at, in, in this level, we can recruit kids. So I, you know, my, my job is to go out and get better players every year. And I tell the kids all the time, you know, if you can't, if you can't be good, we'll, we'll get somebody in here that is good. And I think sometimes that challenge makes them work a little harder. Now, was that the biggest challenge for you, getting the girls to buy into the system? Or did they look at it and think, hey, this is going to be fun? It was an immediate buy-in? Yeah, I think, uh, and I hate to say this, but uh, I uh, I don't, uh, I just don't think that uh, there was a lot of good coaching in women's basketball at that time. And, uh, and so when they came here and saw what we were doing, they were so grateful that they had they had a coach that would uh, that would uh, you know coach them like men. I mean, like a men's coach would do, or other coaches. Uh, and I, you know, I still talk to those kids that were on that team, and they say, uh, you know, how grateful they were that we coached them like men. We we didn't hold back. Uh, we conditioned them as more than they'd ever done. And, uh, you know, it wasn't really a challenge for me because I, I knew it was the right way to do things. And I, and I said, this is, this is what we're going to do here. And, uh, you know, we're not going to let the players say, Oh, this is too hard. And then we were going to back off. No, we, 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 you know, we believed in our system and, uh, we were going to, we were going to put it in. Now we, we, we did a good job and, that's what you have to do all the time as a coach is sell the players on the commitment to what you're doing. You know, they have to believe in that it's the, the way to play. We've had kids who come here and play our, our fast break style and go to college and say, Coach, the coach told me when he recruited me that we, we run and we play fast and we play we fast break. He says, we don't even – he doesn't even know what he, he, you're talking about. He says, it's not, nothing like what we used to do. So, you know, I think that, and the funny thing is, again, is that we've got a lot of kids that we coached here over the years that now coach high school. And it's funny, you know, I worked, uh, as you can relate to this, because I did the color commentary uh, radio station here, KHTS, I did the high school games, and I would see my ex-players coaching and a lot of times I'd, I'd want to stand up in the middle of the game and say, no, that player has to go down and set that pick over there. <laughs> because because they, they were running our stuff. And, you know, this kid would make a mistake and I'd want to correct it. Uh, because I know the system, it's my system, I created it. But it's it's a testimony to what we do that our, our kids have played here, now coach and use our system because they know how good it is and they know how successful it can be. You've coached at both levels, high school and college. You've dealt with overbearing parents who thought their kids were the next coming of, you know, Michael Jordan or Cheryl Miller. When your own kids got to high school and became standouts, obviously your son Michael held the state passing yardage record for a period of time. What role did you play and how involved or uninvolved were you? Well, first of all, I'm a coach, and uh, I, I respect the, the job that coaches try to do. Uh, you know, and they don't need to have overbearing parents. And, you know, sometimes I would disagree with the things that they did, but I would always keep it to myself. I tried to stay out of it. One time, uh, 
when my son was playing football at Valencia, my, they, they had changed the coaching. Uh, my son was going to be a junior. And they changed the varsity coach. And uh, my wife says, you need to go to the booster meeting to, to, uh, to show your support for the new coach. And I go, you know, I've never gone to a booster meeting. I've never been a member of the boosters. I, I just don't, you know, I want my kids to play and do as well as they can. I just try to stay out of it. And so I went because my wife is very persuasive. And I, I try to sneak in the back and sit in the back seat. And it's like that movie, you know, The Godfather, when he says, you know, they, when you try to get out, they keep trying to drag you in. Well, the head of the booster gets up there and he says, well, let's hear what Mr. Herrick has to say. <laughs> everybody turns around and looks and I go, I don't want to be involved in this. And then the coach said, get up there and he's talking about some activity they're going to have. And he says, we want to see if Mr. Herrick is really athletic or not. And everybody's laughing. I'm going, why, am I, why are they involving me in this? I don't want, I just want to watch my son play football. I don't, I don't want to tell a coach how to coach him. You know, his first varsity coach, who's a really good friend of mine for years, called me up one time. He said, Michael's a little melancholy today. What's going on with him? And I said, I don't know. I go, why don't you kick his ass? <laughs> I go, you know, you're the coach. Uh, you know, when I, when I was at Cleveland High School and I had a lot of those kids came from the inner city on the bus, you know, I got many of their parents and most of the time it was single, single moms with three, four jobs trying to make a living. And they would say to me, Coach, thank you for what you've done. You Because know, I was like the father figure. And they would say, thank you. Kid would get his degree, and then the mom would say, you need to tear it in half and give you. And then, you know, I went to uh, a local school here to coach high school for five years. It was like doing community service. You know, these parents thought they knew more about coaching than I did. And, uh, you know, I, I, I always used to suggest to them, you know, one time I went to a guy's office. And if I'd have been crazy, I would have knocked him out from the personal attacks he was giving me. And uh, I'm going, here I coached the greatest athletes in, in the city section history, and these people are complaining that I don't know what I'm doing. You know, and uh, overbearing parents is a, is a problem. You know, the, the, we talked earlier about the, the charter schools and the uh, private schools that are you know, they got this one school locally that has, what, LeBron's son, uh, Wade's son, all on these teams. You think there's pressure on the coach? Yeah, right. I always talk to my wife about that. I say uh, uh, that, uh, you know, it's. It, I wouldn't want to do that job. I don't, if you could guarantee that I would win the Southern Section title, I still wouldn't do it. They couldn't pay me enough to deal with obnoxious, overbearing parents. And, uh, you know, and the funny thing is you can't blame, I don't ever blame the kids. The kids are great. But, uh, you know, their parents are, you know, I never assumed that my son was going to, both my sons actually. You know, my oldest son pitched uh, in, in Division One baseball, and he, when he graduated from high school, he was the all-time, he had the lowest ERA in school history. And, I, I stayed out of it, you know. I, I you know, and you know, and my kids are like any other kids. They would come home and sometimes complain. Now oh, the coach said this, and, that, and they blame me, and the, and I would tell you, you don't like it. 
I go, go talk to him. Straighten it out. You know, and if you don't want to play anymore, don't play anymore. And, uh, I, you know, and, and they did for the most part. That's why my kids always had a good relationship with their coach because you know, they were honest and they went and sought out answers. And I think the coaches always respected that. I respect that when a kid comes into me and says, you know, coach, I, 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 I want to ask you something. I, I disagree with this and this and this. Sometimes I've gone, I, I'd say to them, you're absolutely correct. We're going to change that. And, uh, you know, you, and I think kids respect that. The coaches are going to be reasonable. That's why, you know, when these parents would come in and say, my son is this, or I'd get an administrator that would say, you know, we got a complaint. And I'd say, who's the complaint? He'd say, well, we can't say because you're going to hold it against the kid. I go, I, I, I would never do that. I go, and first, furthermore, I don't even think that person exists. You're just making this up. Because if you can't tell me who it is, and I can't go resolve it, then I don't think it exists. I think you're making it up. And, uh, you know, so so that was always my, my uh, you know, my book is actually dedicated to a couple people, and the last one is to every player that ever played for me. I appreciate the effort, and I appreciate the support of the kids that I've coached. And, uh, you know, that's what's made my life so blessed is that I've had these relationships with kids, uh, you know, on a different level than you can have in a classroom. And, uh, uh, and, and the parents are the ones that mess it up. Yeah, and I remember you said to me a long time ago, I would love to look at a parent and say, hey, this is my job. What do you do for a living? Okay, tell me how to get to your office because I'll be there Monday morning hanging over your shoulder telling you how to do your job. And if you're okay with that, then you can tell me how to do mine. But yeah, I don't I, think... I, tell, I would tell them, look, you want me to go to your job and go up to your boss and say, you know, he really doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, if you, if you got rid of him, your production would go up about 50%. Because that's what you do to me. You know, you go to my boss and you complain... And you want to say, what's your basis of information? You're somebody's dad? You know, I'm a professional educator. You know, I've coached for all this amount of time. I've had success like most other people don't have at different places. I always say that about coaches. I go, you know, you want to measure a coach? You know, I, I know recently you had Harry Welch on. And, uh, and Harry and I are good friends. And I, I used to admire the, the most things I admire is he did this in different situations. You know, it's not, not one place or one year or two years when some guy wins a championship and he's, he's, he's 500 the rest of the time. And you go, man, that's a great coach. That's not a great coach. You know, a great coach is somebody who takes the situation that he has or she has and wins and is successful and then goes somewhere else and does the same thing go somewhere else and does the same thing. You know, I, I can say to you, honestly, look at my resume, and you and you have. I mean, winning here, winning there, winning there, that's not an accident. There are a lot of coaches win by accident. I took inner city kids and won. I took suburban kids, boys, and won. I've taken women and won. That's not an accident. 
You know, there's a formula. And, I, you know, frankly, I hope nobody gets it. I, I, I can't believe they're that stupid. <laughs> but it's not really that tough. And yet, we have done it here and everywhere else we've been. And, you know, I'm so grateful for those kids that say, Coach, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, you drive the car and we'll, we'll sit in the car with you and we'll get to the championship. Yeah, but you didn't play my kid. That's why you're not successful, because my kid was going to be the next greatest thing at, at five foot two, 82 pounds, dripping wet, right? Well, you know what my line about that is, don't you? Uh, <laughs> he, he couldn't play dead in a cowboy boot. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, hey, the book, all right? You've mentioned it a couple of times, and I, I never knew you for an author. I knew you were my English teacher. Uh, what was the impetus behind it, and when do I get my autographed copy? Well, they're coming soon. They, they, we just finished it. It was it was a pain to complete because you know you you got to submit it, then they tell you it's, this something's wrong, then you submit it, something's wrong, and and I'm not very good. I I have an assistant coach that all of his all he does for me is anything technical, you know, game film on the computer. That's his job. He, 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 he hasn't been on the floor for practice maybe twice. But he's very invaluable to me because he does stuff I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. So anyway, the book, the impetus to the book was, you know, when I first started coaching women's basketball, many people would ask me, you know, what's the difference between men and women coaching them? And I say, there's a lot of differences. I said, you know, uh, and, and, and when more and more people kept asking me, I go, you know, I should, I should write a book about this. And then as, as time went by, you know, I, I had my own kids in sports. So my oldest son is a Naval Academy graduate. He played baseball there. Michael, my son Michael has played all over the country. And, uh, and my daughter was dancing. So I was preoccupied with making sure I fulfilled my responsibility as, as a father. And as, as a coach and as a teacher. And uh, so uh, I put it off for a long time. Then, uh, you know, I, I tried, I committed to it, then the COVID hit. So it gave me time to do it. It took me about nine months to, to you know, put it all together. And uh, it's it's been kind of the labor of love. You know, it's about, it's funny, my Cleveland High kids, who I still talk to, we were so excited the book was coming out. And then I said, well, you're not in it. <laughs> <laughs> and they got all angry. You know, they go, oh, we're going to burn that thing up. And, uh, you know, I go, it's about my coaching women. It's called Man Coaches Women. And it's about that. And, you know, the first chapter is about uh, how, I got into, how I got into coaching. And the second chapter is about how I got into women's coaching. And then... We're on with it, you know, years. And I didn't use any names because my lawyer said, we don't want to get in trouble with that. And so, you know, the, the players that read it will know who they are. You know, I had, I had two really good players one year. And the rest of the kids, God bless them, were, you know, in cowboy movies. <laughs> cowboy movies. And uh, so, actually, it's the only year I've been here where we've changed our offensive sets because I wanted those two players to get the ball. Because they're the only ones who can score. So, you know, I, I consulted with my friend, 
uh, Jay Wright at Villanova, and uh, who runs some sets, and and we put those in here, and uh, you know they the one kid was second in the state in scoring that year, MVP of the league, and the other kid got a scholarship to Transylvania, you in, in Kentucky, and uh, yeah, we were we were a pretty good team. We won some big games. Anyway, in my book, I refer to them as Batman and Robin. <laughs> and, you know, nobody knows who that is, but they do. You know, they'll, they'll read it and go, he's talking about me. And uh, so, you know, that, that that book, you know, when I finished it, I was, it was like winning a, you know, a championship. I was grateful and I go, my, my ex-boss, the principal that I had, she wanted me to write it. She wants me to write another book. Uh, you know, she uh, write a story about uh, a biography of my father. And I go, I'm not writing any more books. I, I just, that takes a lot of energy. It's actually harder than coaching, to tell you the truth. And uh, uh, it's a labor of love. I think people will enjoy it. People that know me personally, they will really enjoy it. Because they, we've had some people that have said it's made them cry. And, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of poignance. And, and they'll see in the book how much I value what I do and uh, how important it is to make sure you reach every kid that's in your, uh, in your grasp as a coach, you know, from the best player to the worst player. And I've always believed, you know, when I was at, uh, when I left Crespi and went to Cleveland, uh, Paul Muff was the, he, he died uh, years ago, but he was my boss in the basketball program at Crespi, and he gave me a compliment once in, 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 in the newspaper. He said, you know, you know, the best thing about Coach Herrick is he treats everybody on the team the same from player one to player 15. And I never forgot that. That's uh, I had a player in Cleveland, just to give you a little example, who was the 15th man on the team. He was a 4.0. He got accepted to Notre Dame, and he came to me and he said, Coach, I want to thank you for everything you did for me. And, and you know, I felt bad because he didn't play a lot. Only in, in, when we were blowing people away, he got in a few minutes. And I said, well, William, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't get to use you more, but you had some great teammates. And he said, no, not, not, not about playing time. He says, you taught me how to be a man. And I never forgot that. And, you know, and then I went on to get him a job at Bigger Phelps as a manager at Notre Dame. And that's on the backside. Nobody really knew that. Nobody understood that. And uh, I went out of my way to help this kid who, who committed to our program. And if you do that as a coach, you know, and, you, and you'll read that in my book, because I talk about that uh, in my book, about the commitment I make to kids. And I tell them all that, that all the time. I go, you know, this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done but it's going to be the best thing you've ever done and you're going to look back on these times and you're going to say man i i just had the best time i could ever have my i love my teammates i love my coaches uh i love the work ethic that that's helped me you know become what i've become today and in the book like i said it's called man coaches women it's available on amazon uh kindle and uh you can purchase the paperback there and uh, I'm going to give you your own paperback autographed edition 
Tony Moscow. Wow, you know, I am I am honored, Coach. I really am. I, uh, I ordered a box of them, and I'm going to go give them to people that I, you know, I feel very strongly about in my life. You know, the longevity of friendship is important to me, and uh, you fit in that category, so we'll get your autograph first. Well, then I will forgive you for the D freshman year of English, the, the one grade that prevented me from getting into MIT. Um, I'm, try, I'm trying to I, – I got a call out to the registrar at Crespi. I'm trying to tell her I made a mistake. I I think she's probably been passed on for 20-something years, but but it's all good. It's all good. It made me a stronger student. Well, I can talk her the new one into it, maybe. Okay, well, well, let's do that. Um, hey, last thing – I'm really good at persuasion. Yeah. Hey, last thing before I let you go, I want to ask you five just off-the-wall questions. Your favorite basketball movie of all time? Oh, it's got to be Hoosier. All right. I know the uh, I know the dialogue by heart. Okay. Best advice? By the, by the way, I got a chance to go into the Butler Fieldhouse where that was filmed. And on the same day, I met Bobby Plump. Bobby Plump is the real Jimmy Chitwood. Wow. He owns a, a, uh, like a little bar and grill. Okay. And I went in to meet him and I said, you know, you only missed three shots in the whole movie. (laughs) And he he says, no, I missed four. I go, okay, I'll go back and check. Gosh. You should know. Uh, That's it. Best advice anyone gave to you? Um, well, I, like I said it earlier, my, my father told me, don't be satisfied with the status quo. And I, I've, never, I've never been satisfied with being mediocrity or, or, uh, or even winning, being a champion. Every year is different. Every team's different. Don't be satisfied with what you've done. Try to go, do something better the next time you get a chance. And I was going to ask your biggest athletic accomplishment, but you answered that early was the, the intramural trophy. Well, that 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 was that, and uh, uh, you know, when I was when I was an eighth grader in Oakland, I, I scored fifty five points in a game. Uh, that was a record that I think still stands today. Somebody told me, and also uh, I won the hundred meter butterfly in the San Leandro swim meet when I thought I was going to finish dead last. The record lasted twenty years. <laughs> so those two things, they gotta be at the top. Your favorite basketball player of all time? Wow, um, Pete Maravich. Um, yeah, probably Pete Maravich. And the best player you ever saw or coached? Uh, the best player I ever saw was somebody I played against in college. Uh, Raymond Lewis, uh, you can go uh, RaymondLewis.com and uh, read about him. He 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 was he wasn't as good as Jordan, but he was close. And I'm not going to bore you with his story, but uh, it's a fa- fantastic story. Uh, he went back east as a second round draft choice after his son. He used to call it going hardship. You know, when you could leave college and you could prove you need, needed the money. And he went back to Philadelphia as a second-round draft choice of the Sixers. 
and he'd gone and I had just got done playing him. He had 28 against me. I guarded him. And then the next game they played UC Santa Barbara, he had 72. <laughs> and he was a 6-1 guard. I mean, that, that kind of tells you how good the guy was. Anyway, he, uh, he goes to Philadelphia, and Doug Collins is the number one draft choice. So he, he just kills Doug Collins on a daily basis. And he, and he didn't have an agent. He was from L.A. He went to Vermont Day and uh, he went to Cal State L.A. because he had no grades. And uh, he walks into the GM's office and says, look, I just kicked your number one draft choice ass. I want the same money that he's getting. And, you know, in those days, players had no power. So they said, well, you're not getting it. So he says, look, I'll go back to L.A. And when you change your mind, I'll come back. Well, they never changed their mind. He kind of got blackballed from the league. You know, at the age of uh, 48, he was scoring 30 points a game in these men's leagues. Uh, he was the best I ever saw. And I saw him face-to-face. So I, I, I would know that. And you held him to under 30. I, I actually played him twice. I held him to 22 and 28. And like I said, he scored 72. And that story's in that RaymondLewis.com. It's a, it's a fact. There's testimonials there. There's a testimonial for me in there. And there's one from Tarkanian and all these guys, Donnie Daniels, big time people in, in college coaching. They will tell you all about Marcus Johnson's in there. Testimonial how good Raymond Lewis was. You know, Raymond Lewis showed up on the set of White Men Can't Jump and he, he said to uh, uh, Marcus Johnson, I'll play you one-on-one for 50 bucks. And, and Marcus Johnson said, I'll give you 50 bucks. We don't have to play. He goes, no, I want to play. So he took it. Raymond Lewis took the ball. Now, Marcus Johnson was, he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, Raymond Lewis took the ball out, hit 12 straight shots in the game. <laughs> he, Marcus Johnson never got the ball. That's, so that, that's the guy that. And, and the kids of today don't know who he is because, you know, he never made it to the NBA. But uh, he's the best I ever saw. Well, that's awesome, Coach. Man, I, I want to thank you for taking the time uh, to join me here on the podcast. It, it's always great talking to you. It's it's always a fun time just reminiscing about the old stories and, and, and all the people that we've come in contact with over the years. Um, I, I can't wait to get the book. I will definitely read it. I hope that there are little pop-up things and pictures for somebody like me. Um, and and I look forward to our conversations in the future as well. Well, you know, you, you, you talked about the, the stories and the old times. That's all we have left. And, uh, and, and you know they're all worth it. So anytime we can sit down and talk about any, any old days or any stories, we'd love to do it. I, I've become quite a storyteller in my old age because I sure got a whole hell of a lot of them. And thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure, Coach. Thanks again, and we'll catch up soon. All right. All right, have a great day. Thank you. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you have any suggestions, please send them my way uh, via Twitter at Tony Moskal or at my email at TonyMoskal at gmail.com. Um, I hope you're enjoying your your day. I hope the rest of your week is good. I hope you're keeping your masks on, your social distancing. Uh, let's try and get this virus 
um, under control so we can all go back to something that's normal because we all miss what's going on. Kids need to get back to school. Sports need to continue to happen at the high school level. And I'm just hoping and praying that we get back to that. Until the next time, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.